Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. How do you create a company like Disney or Apple where you get everyone to ideate, innovate, and take responsibility to collaborate to create amazing products? You create an ecosystem of co-creation, a place where egos are off the table, everyone shares their pain points, and people lead with a question instead of telling everyone what the answer is. We know you will love this deeply important conversation with Chris Deaver and Ian Clausen, co-founders of BraveCore. Hello and welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere. I'm your co-host, Mitch Simon. On the West Coast and on the East Coast, we have our amazing co-host, Dr. Virginia Bianco Mathis. Ginny, how are you today? I am fabulous, and it sounds like I'm having better weather here in D.C. than you are in California. That's right. We are in California when we are recording this, and we've got People flooding out and freeways turning into rivers. And of course, in San Diego, it's always great. So today on the podcast, we have two incredible guests, Chris Deaver and Ian Clausen, co-founders of BraveCore, a transformational company creating leaders for the future through co-creative leadership and culture shaping. Chris is a culture shaper. He's worked at Apple and Disney, creating breakthrough content and inspiring teams that shaped iProducts and Star Wars experiences. Chris has also developed landmark studies of the best influencers partnering with Stanford and Harvard professors. Ian co-hosts the Lead with a Question podcast and is a regular contributor to Fast Company, one of my favorite magazines. Ian Mm -hmm. advises startup founders and professional through leadership, development, and coaching. Hello, gentlemen. How are you doing today, Chris? Great. Thank you. It's great for you to be here. Chris is coming at us from San Jose and from Utah. We've got Ian. How are you doing, Ian? Doing great. Thanks for having us, Mitch. All right, great. We got the whole country here involved. Let's just start with BraveCore. Yeah, the origin story is quite simple, really. But we weren't content with the existing kind of work, sure. workplace, and work culture. And you know, this just led us to a lot of questions about you know what we wanted to accomplish in our lives, where we wanted to go next. And for us, it was you know the notions of business just did not connect with what we, you know, what Steve Jobs would say, you know, the, the song of the heart, right? What we wanted to pursue in our lives. And we, we both have, you know, kind of creative tendencies, Ian and I. And so, you know, he found himself leading healthcare as, you know, kind of a regional leader and very successful at that. I was a leadership coach working at Apple and had been at Disney. And, you know, we met through our kids, our two sons, you know, they play basketball together and yeah, they make a claim now to this day that they're responsible for you know, part that. of Brave Corps, so they feel like they have a stake in it. Yeah, debatable. Yeah, you know, either way, Ian and I connected, and we started to we just do. started sharing ideas yeah. that we had over the years. And like, I had these comic strip characters. I dreamed of being the next Bill Watterson. And you know, the only problem was the comic industry, as we knew it, kind of died with the newspapers, right? So unless you were, you know, Scott Adams drawing Dilbert, and you'd already had an audience, 
yeah, that was kind of the way of the dodo. But I still had these characters that I loved. And Ian had this storyline. And so we started sharing these ideas. And, <laughs> you know, meanwhile, we're in our day jobs and I'm doing coaching at Apple and Ian's doing, you know, leading healthcare culture. And, you know, we shaped these ideas into something meaningful. We built out a world and we brought it to a Marvel artist. We flew out to LA. We pitched the concept. And what was a 30-minute meeting turned into three hours. And he was blown away. And he asked a lot of great questions. And then he said, you know, guys, this is epic. Like, this will get made. Wow. Fabulous. Right. So he, he's a guy who, you know, he's helped create Iron Man, you know, Captain America, Avenger. Oh. To have that validation was really powerful for us. And what it showed us was there's power in and not just having great ideas, but co-creating those ideas and building them together. And this was what we were, what we observed in the best companies, right? Disney d does this, but really Pixar and Apple was doing it. And so we thought, well, okay, well, how do we bring this notion of co-creation you know, to the world? First of all, you know, and we love great books. We've enjoyed seminal books, especially, you know, and you look back over the years, you're like, well, you know, as far as having an ecosystem of principles that really change people's lives and work and life, you know, it was, it was probably Dale Carnegie, you know, how to win friends and influence people, Stephen Covey, the seven habits of highly effective people. And he was a mentor of mine. And so Ian and I, we looked at it, we said, you know, there's a lot of great books out there, but we just can't find an ecosystem that explains these creative notions and this next wave of co-creation that nobody seems to be talking about and how to shape culture. And so in an effort to try to you know, find that book, we decided we would start to create it ourselves. Absolutely. So tell us the definition in your mind of this ecosystem called co-creation. What is that? Yeah. You know, I think traditionally everyone's familiar with these concepts of teamwork, right? It's gathering of people. Collaboration could be project oriented. You might be assigned to work on a project together. Okay, I'll share my ideas, you share yours. There may be a type A personality in the mix and you know the other voice gets drowned out or there may be an introvert and those ideas aren't fully baked or shared in the team sense. What co-creation is the possibility of creating and building things together. So it's with that intention in mind, actually creating something together. And so... I had just got finished reading the book Creativity Inc. at the time I was meeting Chris. We both are fans of these timeless principles from Stephen Covey and his work. And we're like, there needs to be this cohesive set of principles. We didn't know what they were. We didn't have the answers, but we started our journey to discover those answers. And it led us to some beta testing at Chris's workplace at Apple with some small teams different segments of the business. I applied some of these concepts in the healthcare setting with these teams, which we ended up going into the pandemic and it was highly beneficial. It brought us together. But yeah, you know, Chris may want to kind of set some things up with the beta test we had at Apple. I think that really explains this notion of co-creation in a culture setting. I was writing a book and I had notions about success and what success could be or what it meant to me. And so, and I actually was on the verge of a book deal. And then, you know, this opportunity with Apple showed up. I was at Disney and Apple you know, presented itself, but you, know, you can't have both, right? Apple's a company that 
is pretty private as far as their voice, or at least it's a unified brand, and they like to you know have their own voice. So I realized there's a choice point for me, and you know Apple. The appeal too was wow, I got to dive in to the you know the most valuable company in the world, and then they offered this challenge to me, which they said, you know, we have seventy percent of the people this company are newer, right, five years or less. They didn't know Steve. And you know we can't teach them how to be Apple fast enough, right? If they have a strong brand, they have a strong culture, and that was their intent, their intention. And so, you know, and by the way, there's a lot of managers and leaders we have to figure out how to get them up to speed. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, that challenge was really appealing, and I turned down the book offer. But it was for other reasons I realized, which relate to co-creation. It was I'm not actually building something that is going to have some kind of material impact in the world like I want to, like I know I need to. And as far as addressing this gap, right? These principles, the creative side, right? The art of, you could say, of business or of work. And I'd been in those companies where they stare at P&L sheets all day and they're basically looking at the past. And you're saying to them, I'm saying to them, why are we doing this? This isn't the future, right? You want to innovate? Let's get in a room. Let's Let's talk innovation. Apple was that way. I showed up the first you know few days and they were already saying, hey, Let's start building stuff, right? Go. And you didn't have to earn your voice. But what we found over time, what I found was you had this very deeply established culture that was very strong, of course, right? Explains the products. But what you also had was a company that had grown very fast over the past you know, five or 10 years. And so what was small teams innovating became large, like massive you know, teams. And it couldn't be as organic as they wanted. And so you got a lot of friction and teams that were saying, hey, and by the way, you add this factor of secrecy that Apple has. People were saying, hey, I don't want to be fired or in jail, right, in three or four months. But then you have this whole generation or group of people that are coming into the organization saying, I've got to collaborate. I don't know how if I can't share. And so these escalations would happen. There'd be friction. And I was trying to make sense of all this. And so we formed a team to look at, explore this question. And at the time, I was looking at, you know, answers from everywhere. And there's one in particular that I found at Startup Grind conference. Clayton Christensen was there and, you know, he wrote The Innovator's Dilemma, which he would reference, right? And actually, out of any company, Apple really lived it, right? They were able to disrupt themselves, right? With iPad or pick a product, really. And they asked Clayton, they said, you know, what do you think about Apple? And he said, well, I think about a lot of companies, you know, and I feel like a mom, right? I worry about them. And he said, I worry about Apple, said, but I think they're going to be fine if they can do this thing that Steve would do, which is when problems arose or when challenges happened, he didn't look to other places. He would stare in the mirror. And this is essentially what Clayton said. He said he would ask himself, what do I need to do differently? Right. And the test of the, of the self as a leader. And how, how often does it happen where companies are outsourcing or looking for answers externally and they just get lost in this malaise of, you know, finding answers elsewhere. And essentially that can turn quickly into blaming. It can be handing over culture even to other companies. And and when you look at a guy like Steve or Ed Catmull at Pixar and you ask them, what's your what's the best product you've ever made? Some people would think he'd say iPhone or something like that, but Steve would actually say the culture. And so now the challenge we were having was this friction, right? And so at Apple it was like, well, how do we actually do this? And Steve's no longer around. Tim's a different kind of leader by design. It's kind of a distributed power model. He's not as involved as Steve was. And so you had a lot of these people, leaders saying, I don't really have a clear direction and I need to find that. And so, you know, we had to say on the one hand, you got to step up and drive. But then the other part of it was we had to have these things connecting that weren't 
right? Across and teams connecting across that weren't, you know, as much. And what we found was, you know, tying this to the creative notion of think, think different, right? And the core of Apple, really. And this is kind of a sacred thing. People don't touch, but we were going to go and step into that kind of holy ground for Apple and say, okay, think different is great, right? Let's have a variety of voices. You've got a bunch of misfits. We're, you know, and you have people who are in a room and, you know, they're humble to the universe. These are PhDs, people that are in white papers about things. And they're like, you can't actually, we can't actually accomplish what we're trying to do. Well, we're going to do it anyway. They just got excited, right, about the impossible. And this would happen with AirPods. It would happen with every product. But the ultimate challenge was reimagining the next level of the culture and essentially the future culture of Apple. And we called this different together. And it was, you know, collaborating by design and not by default and bringing teams together in different ways. And the starting point for that, as Ian said earlier, was very organic. It was just asking questions, right, of the best kind of, you could say the people that got off the DeLorean from 30 years from now, right, at, at Apple that were leaders or, you know, in teams or influencers. We said, what is it that you're doing? And we asked, for example, this leader, and he ran a team of about 4,000 engineers. And they do all some of the coolest stuff for these products, right? They do camera technology, you know, face ID, all the cool things on the phone. And his name's Lynn. And we said, Lynn, how do you consider yeah, yourself? Yeah. He said, I'm a coach. I said, okay, tell us more about that. You know, what's your process? He said, well, I, I go into meetings and I think about it like this. If people have their ideas and if you know their ideas are their kids and my ideas are my kids, well, if I care as much or more about their kids as I do about mine, then magic can start to happen. And then he, and then he distilled that down to a principle that we captured. He said, you know, a lot of times people talk about bias and it's such a negative, it's such a negative thing. And he said, and that's, that can be true. He said, but I think about it this way. I need to be biased towards people's ideas. And that became a principle on which we built the future culture of Apple, right? Be biased towards others' ideas. And there were other number of principles, you know, seven of them. And this template was based in some way on the Pixar model where, you know, Ed Catmull in the book Creativity, he distilled down seven principles for Pixar's culture. Of, and you could say the Pixar culture of the future as well as the present. And so with Apple, that hadn't really been done. Now, there were things, there were artifacts and elements that we saw around, but to have a clear point of view about that was everything for us. So we designed that, we co-created it with leaders. It also wasn't an HR program, but we just said, hey, we're rolling this out because we knew how that, how that would go. This was co-created with the leaders. So they show up on stages and you know, this head of camera technology, Graham Townsend, he's Next thing we know, yeah. he's on stage in front of 300 leaders, right? Reading the principles and saying, this is the future of Apple. And he knew it because he was living it with his team. That was you know, part of the work. It got to Tim Cook, it got to the other leaders and it scaled across the company ultimately. And it was really amazing to be part of that story that started kind of from humble beginnings, just whiteboarding in an office really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a fabulous story. It has all the components of a great story. <laughs> But the most important, how to perpetuate the culture, the vision of it, leaders getting involved, the team saying, you know, we need something for the, oh, it's just, I love it. Yeah. When I was going into this podcast, co-creation to me was co-creation of products, but I'm really picking up that it's the co-creation of almost myself and how I'm going to be with other people in this company to actually get a company because you know we're not talking about a few people apple's thousands or ten thousands of people to actually get thousands of people to take that on we also think about you know kind of our greatest warriors our time and patience and 
these are the nature of these builds where you say, okay, it's going to be a deeper thing. It's going to take some time. And it's all really conversation, right? That you build these organic co-creative conversation, but they're with the right people, right? So again, the best of, and you start to build these conversations that turn into essentially a community of people who are being brave okay. already, and they're embodying it already. And there's this alignment that is subtle. And granted, Apple was perfectly designed to do this. Just We just had to connect the dots. And as we did, this momentum started to build. Right. And, and we'd have conversations that we would expand out with their teams. And, and instead of, you know, a rollout where we'd say, okay, let's just bring this to everybody, you know, let's bring it to the whole organization. And then everybody does a download and they do a download. And, you know, half the people aren't even pay attention. The other half don't even care. And the leaders check the box and they're done. And, and uh, we took this organic approach, which was how do we like a product, right. bring this to life? Right. And if it, the go to market is, not a push, but a pull strategy. How do we design it that way? And so as we took that approach, these things started to happen. And then it naturally affected the products, right? So take AirPods, for example. We were in the midst of some of the hardest pain points related to the initial phase of let's, you know, the, the first iteration of AirPods. And all these themes of friction and you know, struggle were happening. And so, you know, even Right as this was about to go to market, and this is a hidden story, you know, most people are untold Apple story like most, you know, there are people in these rooms who are competing, throwing data at each other about testing. And nobody wanted to be in the New York Times the day after launch, right? When if, if it failed. So, you know, we did a post mortem on it and we said, well, what's the problem? Like, okay, so we backed up and and what we found, which was interesting, was we were asking ourselves too, are there models working in the culture? And in this camera team, we found a brain trust and they had essentially borrowed that concept from Pixar. And we asked ourselves, what are the ingredients of the brain trust? Okay. It's a weekly meeting. Okay. What does it look like? It's everybody showing up, egos off the table, building blocks on the table. There's representation from software, hardware, operations, right? Everybody's in the room and they're all, yeah. And they're all being transparent with each other. Right. And then, Okay. What if we took that approach and we applied it to AirPods? Multiple. Because AirPods yeah. team, we, yeah. we asked, you know, we said, well, when, what's your rhythm, you know, when you meet? Oh, we were meeting kind of ad hoc. And then suddenly 11th hour, we're doing six hour dailies. You're like six hour dailies. Of course, you're going to be burned out. Of course, there's going to be friction, right? This is crazy. So for the next iteration, AirPods Pro, which turned out to be a great product and they're all great. It's a great product line, but they really took it to the next level they turned it into a brain trust and it was weekly meetings. It was, you know, egos off the table, building blocks on the table. They're doing all these things. And so it just worked so much better. And so those were the kinds of things that worked. Yeah. Incredible. And the examples you have been given are taking those discussions, duplicating them, getting everyone involved, feeling ownership. How did you deal with or not? Maybe it just happened other infrastructures in the organization. I was involved very many scale of that with another company. And so that trust in the group that was meeting weekly, they had to say things like, Hey, I love that idea, but I'm not going to yeah. get my yeah. bonus. Well, what we did was in finding those to everybody, it was amplifying them. And if we amplified them, we believed that if we gave them the language of co-creation, right, the future principles of Apple, we empowered them with the right 
perspective. And we co-created that with them. So this was their language, right? In partnership with us, then they could solve for that because the momentum would be on their side, right? Those people that were holdouts, they would get either plowed through, they would give up, right? Easily at some point because they'd say, they got a whole thing going here and they're the ones, they have the momentum of the culture, right? And so we, we rode that wave of, you could call it, you know, broadly co-creation, but really it was, hey, they just took ownership of the principles, but we designed it in that way so that it could grow organically. We, we, you know, we'd sit inside of Apple Park and this is like a spaceship, this campus, right? It's incredible. There's a little spot in there and not everybody knows about this, but um, it's a pond and it's a meditation pond and you go there and my team, we were sitting there in this place and it's just beautiful, right? There's, it's just really still and quiet. And you know, we're talking about this and, I, and we're wrestling with that very question that you said, it's like, well, how do we get this kind of buy-in at a scaled level, right? This partner on our team, Caroline, she said, it's look, look around that this is an ecosystem, right? Look how these flowers and trees are all growing. It's not forced. This is going to grow on its own. And that's the thing that I think we tend to get wrong in culture is looking at it as these artificial systems, right? Like we go to a city and it's like, we got to build that. And they're very brute, right? The architecture or the design of, and then people don't buy in because they say, that's just not how I experience life, right? Nature. So that was yes. the difference was yes, yes. giving it an appeal that was innate, right? That was beautiful and that they could feel something different. And so, and it was also in conversation. This gets to into Brave Core, which was something we discovered with Ed Catmull when we sat with him. And that was also just an opportunity of a lifetime yeah. was to sit, you know, with kind of this Jedi level, right? Leader who, surprise to us, you know, it was always, it, it's well documented that, you know, Steve, you know, Jobs had influenced the creation of Pixar. But it's not as well known what we found that Ed, Ed Catmull and Pixar had influenced the Apple culture as significantly as they did with the brain trust. And so, you know, we're sitting with Ed and we're thinking, hey, this guy's a wisdom dispenser, right? He's the Yoda, right? So we're going to sit and just, just, yeah. turn, just hit the button and we're going to live. And the opposite was true. We're sitting and I'm, and mm -hmm. I'm sharing, we're sharing with him and this goes on 15, 20 minutes. And Take notes. at some point I'm looking at Ian and I'm thinking, <laughs> yes. like, when is... What, you know, is he going to share something like, but he was asking great questions. And so I paused. I said, Ed, what's your leadership philosophy? And he said, I lead with a question. Yeah. So that became the name of our podcast. It also became our first principle for Brave Corps because when we zoom uh -huh. out and, you know, oh, there's work, the work at Apple was specific to their future culture and there's application for other companies right. and people for, to be sure. But we were also curious about when we zoom out anybody in any domain, what are the principles that we call the meta principles that can guide them in this future that is co-creative and lead with the question was certainly one because, you know, and Ian can talk more about this, but we have this dilemma that we face that, yeah, it's the expert model. Everybody has an answer. And, you know, as a culture, as a civilization and in business, especially, we've gotten to a place where it's so functional. People have stacked silos upon silos upon silos. I mean, you look at it, the landscape is, You've got a skyscraper. You've got skyscrapers everywhere where people are saying, it's my ivory tower. Don't you dare touch it. I am the person that knows. And it gives nobody room or space to, you know, to build anything with. So you lead with the question just opens that floor. I was just going to take it further. What Chris was saying, this notion of meta principles, 
you know, many of the books we read, the thought leadership that that's out there, a lot of the books we enjoy, Chris and I, you know, we, we call them one thingers and publishers take the safe bet by, you know, pinning down the one concept that could be expanded. And if it's a 300 page book, it's probably told in 25 to 30 pages, the essence of it all. And then it's backed up by, you know, research and data and storytelling. And so what we realize is we're, we're living in a time where nobody wants to be told what to do. We are seeking answers, but we want to intuit those answers. We want to come upon it through experience, not just being sat down in a training session, you know, drilled in the head, do X, Y, and Z. This is our program. Exactly. So we decided that something else is needed for the future. And we didn't quite have the answers at the time, but this started to shape over the course of, you know, shaping this material for Brave Corps. And this notion of meta principles surfaced for us where we're like, you know what, Stephen Covey, his set of principles are so poignant. They helped us as we applied them, even Creativity Inc., right? Those seven principles of culture. And now that's an insight to, to what they did and practiced. What the world needs is direction and space to create. And so for us, meta principles give that direction, but it doesn't tell you exactly how you're going to solve the challenge that you're facing. And so it gives room for creativity. It gives room for their individuality, for their uniqueness to, you know, have their imprint in the discussion, have their imprint um, within their team as a co-creator. And so just an example, lead with a question. We don't tell you what questions to ask. We're just pointing you to the notion that, hey, it's important to ask questions, right? And so, you know, what's come together for us, and now we're actually in the, in the crux of writing our book to help, you know, share this with the world, is to give that direction and not just direction from us, but direction from leaders that we've learned from, like Ed Catmull, people at Apple in the healthcare world. And, you know, I think people are going to appreciate the fact that they have room to breathe, that they can co-create with others. Nicely said. Wow. I felt like I've been sitting two Yodas. So, <laughs> <I know. laughs> they look taller though, but you know, they're, they're taller than Yoda. Yeah. I wanted to end with this question and I want to ask you both because it just, it's just sticking out. We'll go with Ian and then we'll go back to Chris. Ian, what does it mean to be brave? Like from all this work that you've done, what does it mean to be brave? And then I'm going to ask you, Chris, what does it mean to be brave? Because the, the name of your company is Brave Core, And you've really demonstrated to us what happened at Apple was a lot of people being extremely brave. Great, great question. Great insight. In fact, you know, a lot of our, our material is shaped with this framework. You know, at the base, it's fear, right? It's what we all experience. It's at our baseline. Leaders default to fear. You know, a lot of decisions are made based on fear that they're not going to get their bonus, right? Fear of how they might look, you know, if they make a mistake. And so they have to always be polished and they got to put people down. They got to feel like they have to control the levers within their team, but it's disempowering. Uh, and then there's this next notion of braving it alone. A lot of people make this pivot where they're like, you know what? I'm going to break out of the system. I'm going to I'm going to attempt to start my own company. I'm going to be a freelancer. I'm going to be a consultant. And it carries its own, you know, package of fear. 
<laughs> Even when you're braving it alone, it comes in different forms. But what we're after is, is this notion of brave together, which is co-creation. And that's actually the title of our book. It's called Brave Together. But that's the essence of it is to know that you could be surrounded by people that don't have to necessarily be like you, but you can trust in the diversity around you. You could trust in, in other ideas. You can trust you know, other people's gifts and their talents, their creativity. And that's been, that's certainly been our experience, Chris and I, as we kind of open up this trust with each other as, as co-founders and partners, as we're, you know, co-authors writing this book together, it's messy. Co-creation is messy, but it's worth it. To highlight the fact of like what Ian just said, and just to bring it home for personally, you know, I felt that on a personal level, I was, if you go go back far enough on my journey, you know, I was really young. I, I was in Boy Scouts. My dad was a scoutmaster. I I made it my focus in life to achieve my way to success. And I got my Eagle Scout at twelve, or I earned it. I did a bunch of other things. You know, got good grades, did all of it. And you know, I got to a point where I literally this was before I went to Disney to culture work, but I was studying animation. I wrote a letter to Roy Disney, and I said, "Hey." You know, can you get me a job there? And, you know, three or four months later, I get this call from a recruiter and she says, Hey, Roy said to talk to you. And I was just on this straight path, right? Straight path to, you know, I wish I was wishing upon a star and boom, the pixie dust was hitting. It was all, it was all happening. Right. And then it just all felt really empty suddenly. And I, I didn't know why, but it was this kind of, you know, what Ian described is, you know, and, and I was being brave, right? It was just, I, I felt very alone. And I was, I was on this journey kind of building my own dream. And what I realized, and there's not nothing wrong with that. It's like, that's actually better than fear, right? Because we're moving in a direction. But what I found was for myself, I had to build something even more meaningful. And it took kind of stepping back. And that conversation as an example, I literally said, hey, thank you, kind of got off the phone. I didn't even know why I didn't, I mean, pursue it at the time, but it just felt like that's not the right thing for me. And it turned out not to be. I actually started a mentoring network with people like Stephen Covey and, you know, Stan Lee and just started different things to try to connect people co-creatively. And I didn't know what it was at the time. And then, you know, later Ian and I met and I did this, we did this work with these companies and in zooming out, yeah, I think the main point that we've experienced in life and in this kind of macro sense is the power of being brave, you know, together we talk about, you know, how do we do diversity in today's world? You know, how do we wrestle with these kinds of challenges that are unprecedented, right? The world is spinning, right? Leaders don't even talk about change management anymore, which I'm kind of glad I hated that term, but how, how in the world could you bottle it up and turn it into a simple lever? Right. Like Peter Thiel said, you know, set your 10 year plan and, and do it in six months. The interesting thing is we've all been handed our 10-year plan, right, in six months. And here we are trying to figure it out, right? And I'm sure there'll be another 10 years worth of change in the next six months. And what are we going to do with it? And are we going to, you know, default to fear? Are we going to be brave on our own? Or are we going to be brave together with others? And we believe that the future is, it's not just a solo or a self-focused, you know, self-made success. It's shared. And, and so that's, that's our vision of the future. And we're excited 
you know, about that and grateful you know to be here with you. Well, we're I, excited too. <laughs> I'm excited too. <laughs> we're excited for for that. In six and, months, obviously, uh, not you know, ten to, years. And and it's 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 been a process, you know, to really capture the stories, the emotion, and our intent is that. And this may sound audacious, but it's been our journey in trying to find something like this. You know, to Ian's earlier point, was we really want there to be an ecosystem of principles that people can use as definitively, right? As a seven habits or as how to win friends and influence. I mean, I remember when I was 15 and I was a typical teenager. I was, you know, I was very self-focused and my mom handed me how to win friends and influence people. And she said, you lack empathy, read this book and this is going to help you. And it changed me. And then, you know, years later, I'm in college at, you know, BYU and my friend starts rattling off these principles. I'm like, what, what is this? Like, I've never heard. He's like, begin with the end in mind. You just got to begin with the end in mind. I'm, I'm thinking like, what are you talking about? And it just, it just stuck with me. Right. And I, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I got, you know, the, the seven habits tape and I had, you know, this back in the Walkman days, I had a Sony, <laughs> I go jogging and I listened to it until it broke, like literally the tape broke. I just couldn't stop, you know, listening. And then, you know, today there's authors that we love. We could, you know, name off some of the, you know, Adam Grant, Daniel Pink, you know, there's, there's a lot, right? But where is that definitive set of principles that sticks and anchors you or grounds you in the future? And that's what we, that's our focus. For our modern times. Yeah. yeah. So it's going to be in the book. October. Definitely. All right. So I know that your meta principles are on your website. So how can we find you and your website? Yeah. Our website is www.bravecore.co. We have a, an actual page called Artifacts. So you'll be able to kind of see where we've written some articles. It's the hub of our podcast episodes and some other things that we've shaped or white papers. There is oh, a tab yeah. where you can explore the meta principles and get a, a preview of them. And we go to great lengths to expand that in the book. But our, our focus is to, to move, not prove. And so we want to move this movement of this rising generation of leaders and give them a sense of direction and a sense of hope, but just let their creativity become unleashed and give them a set of tools and language to do that. And this is just a tipping point. You know, we, we hope to collaborate with other folks and co-create and we hope products emerge with these, uh, this frame in mind. But yeah, you know, we'd love to connect if people are interested. Wow. Chris, Ian, we can't wait to have you back on the show. So get that book out. It's been, you know, touching. That's heart touching. And really, um, I've read all those books and I so much agree with you that most of everything that's been written is written to the person and has not been written with this understanding of a collective co-creation and what you would need to become with others to create that. So I want to thank you so much for being on our show. Um, thank you, Ian. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Ginny. Thank you to our listeners. Um, and I'm sure you've, you've loved this episode. Please, please, can't wait to share um, this with all of my friends and colleagues. And until then, we look forward to seeing you next time on our next episode of Team Anywhere. Anywhere.